0: Welcome to Invisible Talks, where the truth, different perspectives, and stories are discussed with invisible voices. Media outlets vary using anonymous sources. There's no such thing as off the record, but here on Invisible Talks, all of our stories are off the record. If you're good, put the pieces together. I'm your host, Tyra Eland, recording in the Podcast Town studio.
1: I want to hear your story and perspective to make my life better.
0: I'm tuned in. Welcome to Invisible Talks, where invisible perspectives and stories are shared. Today's focus is understanding the life of those separated by bars. I have two guests, a father and a daughter, who have been separated for 13 years. We'll start with your upbringing. Like, what was life like with your parents, siblings?
1: Mm
2: -hmm. All right, well, originally I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. My parents were not married, but I was the youngest of them. Three children my mom had. She had me at the age of 40, 1966, 4th wow. of July. Graduated from high school at the age of 16. Thereafter, I went to the University of Tennessee. Finished college because I left and went to the Air Force. Hmm. And I did I did a stint there, and that's where I met. Mother, that's so where I met Hawaii.
0: What made you um, go to the Air Force, enlist?
2: Well... At the time, they had a program. that was kind of like early enlistment. I actually joined the Air Force in the 10th grade. That's when I tested for it. Okay. But I had to wait. It was a delayed entry program. I had to wait until I was of age. Okay. To be able to go, but I was already accepted into the Air Force in the 10th grade. And uh, me and three of my friends, we all took the ASVAB test together.
1: Okay.
2: We did pretty good, so... I joined the Air Force. My other buddy joined the Marines and one joined army and one joined the Navy. Wow. I just happened to test high enough to be in the air force.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it sounds like education was put forth to graduate. I wasn't even mature enough to graduate at sixteen years old. And I know that's something that your daughter values is education. So prior to being incarcerated, where were you working? What was your life like outside?
2: I was working for the city of Milwaukee. I was a garbage truck driver. I actually worked for the sanitation department, the Department of Public Works. I was a truck driver, and I had been doing that for a number of years. I was working for the uh, the VA hospital. I was working there for a while. I've got a long history of work uh, machine operating. I did that for quite a while, but at the time before I was incarcerated. It was the city of Milwaukee. That's who I was working for at time of my rest.
0: And so you're, right now, you're 13 years in, correct?
2: Yes, ma'am.
0: So let's rewind back to your first day. Could you walk mm. me through the feeling, the process of what you were experiencing?
2: I was numb, actually, because I could not believe that a system of criminal justice could just move in the direction it moved so fast, so quickly, you know, it just... One day I was at work, driving my truck, and the next day I was sitting in the county jail. You know, February 28th was an infamous day for me because I worked that day and that night I was in jail. And the process never stopped. It never stopped, but it just kept rolling and rolling and rolling. The first day was... It was a numb day, but there's many firsts. It was the first day of the county jail, the first day of being placed and dodged, the first day after conviction, first day of trial. You know, there's it's many firsts involved there, you know. But it just actually, you know, it was, you know, it was kind of yeah. difficult to explain. It was it was a lot riding on everything. I am actually the only person in my family to ever have experienced prison. Nobody in my line of my family, my brother, my sister, none of my kids, have ever had any interest or involvement with the criminal justice system. I'm the only one.
0: Were either of your parents alive um, going through this process?
2: No, my mom passed in '05. my dad passed in 97.
0: Okay. And so when you were to that point of you saying like you're the first person to go through such a process, what was it like interacting with your siblings or how did you all have those difficult conversations at first? It was
2: I was just thinking about this very question. I had a feeling that that would be asked and I contemplated that not have to narrow it down. I say, you know, When you go through the criminal justice system, first inclination being a black man is that, oh, it's possible he might have done it. You know, that's the first, even though it's not your character, it's not in your nature, anything like that, you just don't have that credibility, you know. So it was just trying to get people to see and and listen to what I had to say. But it was almost like everybody wanted to listen to what the system had to say before me. And that frustrated me quite a bit because mm-hmm. I, I've never I've never done it what they accuse me of my life.
0: How long did it take you, I mean, to hear eighteen years to accept the journey that you were walking down and still are today?
2: I don't accept it, Tyra. Even today I don't accept it, you know. I've never stopped fighting trying to get my good name back. I mean i in the process right now, getting ready to develop a motion, okay. you know, because, uh, you know, you can see where there's been errors by attorneys. But when you don't have the financial backing, nor do you have the connection in the community to keep fighting for you, at the, you know, like the need in the courts kind of somehow gets gotten a little bit.
0: So when you talk about connection, there's obviously, like, the support around it. Let's get um, into the dynamics of you and your daughter. What has your relationship been like over the last 13 years?
2: Well, you know, sister, have you met her? Yes. Okay, those are my two oldest girls. They were adults when I came to prison. As a matter of fact, my grandson uh, was born, what, three days, six days prior to my Mm sentencing. So, full-on pregnant and I was looking forward to meeting my grandson for the first time and our relationship hasn't been anything but strengthened over this period of time because I had two minor children in high school at the time as well so now they're adults as well mm-hmm. and that was one of the things I was worried about but I've never lost connection with any of my children since I've been in this process. Mm-hmm you know and then when they were able to accept and understand what i was going through i just gave them a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more i didn't want to underdate them with too much information too fast because at the time when i came to prison their mother was still alive Mm -hmm. you know so i didn't want to belabor them with my troubles because my ex-wife was going through some troubles of her own health wise
0: did you ever feel like with any of your children, including the youngest one, that you were judged to a certain extent, like they may have been ashamed at any point?
2: I think they may have been ashamed. I don't think they judged. It you okay. know, I think, I think, you know, it's, it's one of those tapping things, you know, from the conviction, what it was for, you know, and, and, and the whole process, you know, it was kind of shameful in and of itself, even to this day, you know. Mm -hmm. but they know their father's character and they know everything about me and most anybody that knows me knows me well. Mm -hmm. So they know that this is not my character, this is way out of character. It it was unexplainable but now the children, you know, because I'm able to show them now in the process of the case itself through trial transcripts, probable cause determinations, we have hidden police reports and the whole process. Now you know, you know when the conviction starts. You know, I didn't want to put that on my children, especially with my daughter who was married and one relocated. Mm-hmm. Yes. My son, who's married as well, and then my my third daughter, she's starting her career in banking, and I didn't want to bother anybody. I tried to handle all this by myself, but. As of late, my children have taken, taken, <laughs> they kind of taken control at this point. Mm-hmm. And they don't, they don't, they want to move that out of the way. And they see that you know, through the paperwork, you know, oh, my dad, he, he was telling the
0: truth. Mm-hmm. What, why do you think in a system, and I know there are many levels uh, to the criminal justice system, that you were a target?
2: Yeah, it was a number of yeah. things. Actually, you money, know, was a, uh, you out money was money was real strong driving force because that's what was attacked oh, upon my conviction. Risk my risk risk. wife, you know, she was uh, she what, 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 was a fast marriage. Yeah, you know, we were an good. adult. I, well, I, saw I was, was not an not adult marriage, so. You, you know, the game of love, you, you know, who's played this game? And I was one of the biggest. So, you know, so that's what happened. You know, I, she attacked the money. That's what disappeared first. Mm-hmm. So, You know, so I think that was it because I just got a lump sum from the VA because I am 100% service-connected disabled veterans. It was a lump sum of money and she couldn't get to it. And It was easy. It was a process. But at the time in 2009, it wasn't hard to be a target in Milwaukee County. You know, all you had to do basically was be black. Mm -hmm. You know, if I had known the criminal justice system like I know now, I would have took a different route. I wouldn't have asked for a speedy trial. I would have required them to provide their proof instead of me trying to rely on the criminal justice system like I did, but it failed me.
0: Have you forgiven your ex-wife? You talked about it being really a financial motive. Have you in your heart searched over these last 13 years and said, I have to let that go?
2: Oh, yes. I all Hindrances of if negative thoughts toward to anybody or any feelings like that, you know. I don't, I don't focus on the real view, right? Stay focused on the thoughts. Right. It's a lot more ahead of me. I'm hoping that it is behind.
0: Right. Um and with you saying that, I mean, what has been some of your learning experiences throughout these years? There are so many other pieces of hope that you can keep on to. So what have you been learning?
2: Well, there's a lot to learn, especially, this is a culture shock for me, especially because I had never been involved in anything like this, mm-hmm. you know, to this degree. This is literally the belly of the beast. There's a lot of rules. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of unknown rules. There's a lot to learn and just the whole survival aspect of being in a in
1: and
2: in, in prison know. concept. But the one thing I did, learn is that I did a pretty good job with my children,
1: mm-hmm. and that
2: made that made me most proud. You know, i got four daughters and one son. So. Yeah. From this perspective, everybody's doing pretty good, everybody's pretty successful.
0: Mm-hmm. So it so means even the time that
2: I did have, my dad did a pretty good job,
0: mm-hmm.
2: poured it all into my children.
0: Did you have anyone on the outside who really emotionally and the kids were able to lean on in your absence?
2: Oh, my brother, you yeah, my brother, my, uh, I got one brother, he's here. Mm-hmm. He's the pastor of the church, his church. So he's been my rock for the longest until my children got of age where they could, you know, have candid conversations with me.
0: Right. What role has spirituality played in your life? And I look at that twofold before incarceration and then after.
2: Well, glad you asked. (laughs) If I wasn't anchored in my faith, I probably would have failed this process. But the thing is, that's been my driving force and that is my secret weapon. Mm-hmm. You know, in this process. Um, I you know, hold on to God's unchanging hand this whole time. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't failed me, he has not failed me yet. So I don't think he brought me this far to let me down.
0: Right. Amen to that. What has been the hardest obstacle to overcome? I mean, you the 13 years that's that's a long time and there's somebody mm-hmm. like me who's on the outside i don't even know how i could fathom i don't know how i would have made it a week anywhere um mm-hmm. and so just thinking about like you just said the rules you know they are communities is different it's a whole new world um what has been the biggest challenge to overcome well
2: you know i have to i tell a lot of the young men that's here that surviving this prison process is looking at it in the perspective of percentages. 90% of it is mental. Mm. 5% of it is environmental. And 5% of it is intentional. You can't really Account for what the system does, you know, like if they have a lockdown or they shut us down, they keep us in, and they don't let us out, or feed me this, or do me that. It goes into the environmental as well because there's things about the prison process you can't change.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So holding on to my sanity was easy because I just kept focused. I kept mm-hmm. focused. I'm focus driven. I did. I have a to call the title of it. <laughs> <laughs> the cast is, but mm-hmm. I, that, that, that is me. And now that I've, every year we go to what they call a classification. Okay. And they just classified me as minimum custody. So I got one foot out.
0: Let's right. Put it like right.
2: It's one foot. It's one foot out. And uh, I've been submitting uh, my applications to work releases, so Put two feet, uh, two right,
0: feet. that that is the little pieces of hope that keep you energized and in good spirits. I'm assuming too, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Every
2: every little piece is an increment, you know, and each increment gets me a little closer to the. That was a point in time when, when, like you said, when 18 years first was assessed, I was angry. Mm-hmm. The first three years, I was angry, actually. But an older gentleman caught a hold of me, and he told me, he said, listen, you're not going to be able to win in your feelings, in your emotions. He said, and he taught me how to look at the law, assess the law, and apply the law. Mm -hmm. And ever since since then, I've been doing what I do. so.
0: So if there was one thing that you hope your kids understood about the inside looking out, what would it be?
2: It's possible if you're ever in a situation to overcome, mm-hmm. but I'm also keeping my children diligent in looking at how easy it is to get here. It's easy to get here and
0: difficult to get out. Of here. That's a good one. So I always like to wrap up each segment. Um, I see trees as powerful symbols of growth and resurrection. And so I have this book called How to Be More Tree-Like. And so I'm going to read an excerpt. And I'd love for you to close us out with your thoughts on what you hear. Thank you. And so it is get in touch with your spiritual side. This is a pie pole tree. There are almost as many interpretations of spirituality as there are types of trees. But whatever it means to you, it starts with finding a way to connect to an inner voice that could lead you towards a sense of peace. You could say that the pipe or the bio tree is one of the most spiritual trees. In the 6th century BC, Buddha reached enlightenment while meditating under one. From Pakistan all across India to the Myanmar it remains an everyday reminder of life's spiritual side. The shrines are built under them, and it's a place to visit the peepowl tree. It's another way of saying you're going to pray. With a wealthy lifespan of up to to 1,500 years, the peepowl is a good example of the comfort and strength we can all draw from the little bit of positive beliefs. What are you thinking on that after listening to that?
2: It is enlightening to know that we're all branches of the same tree, mm. and then that is where I grow my strength. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Under this tree of hope of salvation, of giving, of love, that I find my strength and my safety.
0: That's good. I'm uh, grateful for your time. I'm thankful. Your peace is, I appreciate it. So thank you for sharing your time. You know, there's always two perspectives to every experience and journey. And so we're going to hear from your daughter's point of view next.
2: Okay. All right. All right. Anytime, anytime you need me, I'm here and I'm available for you. Okay. I hope, I hope to be home soon.
0: Yes, there. It's a short time, and just like you said, you already got one foot out.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm on the way. On the way.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, I will let you get back to it, and I'm sure I'll I'll talk to you soon.
2: Okay. Thank you for your time.
0: No, thank you for yours.
2: It's right. nice meeting you too, Tyra.
0: You too. Okay. There's always two perspectives to every experience or journey. So let's hear from the daughter's point of view. So we spoke with your father last week and now we want to hear from you. And so we'll start off by saying what was your upbringing like?
1: Um I was raised by a single mother um with my sister. It was the three of us. Pretty I had a nice wonderful childhood. Um never wanted nor needed anything. I was close to both sides of my family, knew my father, knew grandparents, no, I only knew my grandmothers, never met either or none of my grandfathers. Um, I think from my mom's perspective, she would say that we struggled for minds had everything a child could ever want and need. So you
0: raised by your mom and we're going to one of the things that um, we talked to your dad about is really focusing on the last 13 years. Right. And so we're going to rewind back 13 years ago. Your father who um, had a job, worked for the city. I was I could see where the education background comes from because he graduated at 16. He served. He gets found guilty in his trial. Describe your last time seeing him in person.
1: Well, my last time seeing him in person prior to trial or during trial or in general.
0: I think we could do a little bit of both uh, because I think there's different stages of those emotions. Right. There is that natural interaction. And then now he's going through a court trial and then it is finding out he's guilty and knowing that for X amount of time um, he'll be behind bars.
1: Well, prior to trial trial. The last memory I can remember was, I want to say, he was cooking something and I stopped by his house, you know, to eat. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I really didn't see much of him because prior to that, his wife at the time made it clear that his kids were grown and he did not need to see us. So during trial, I was six months pregnant with my son and um, emotions there, not really. I can't, you know, it sucks because that's my dad, but him being sentenced really didn't take away anything from me. And I say that because it's not like I saw him every day to begin with. And so, it's, you know, it was kind of like, dang, that sucks. You know, now I can't call him when I want to. I can't pop up when I want to. Or, you know, but it really didn't take a, a toll on me as most would probably suspect it would.
0: What has your relationship looked like with him over the years of him being incarcerated? I hear you saying, you know, that it is what it always has been. One year standing there, and he gets sentenced. Uh, but now, looking at the last thirteen years while he's been behind bars, what has the relationship looked like?
1: I feel like it's improved gradually. Um, initially, you know, he'll call and it's like, "Oh, what's up?" You know, a simple. I almost feel like he expected more of us, of his children. And when I say that but as I said while he was sentenced I was pregnant so I was about to have a a whole kid myself and so my own family and I feel like um, I didn't have the time nor did I seek to make the time because I I have this child to raise and I can't worry about you right now but as I've gotten older um, I talk to him every day um I feel like this is probably the best our relationship has been ever because I can um I'm not holding any grudges. Um I accept him for who he is, what he's done, where he's at. And um and I think as when I was younger I kind of felt a certain way, you know, you can never come through or, or stuff like that, but um gradually it has definitely improved. I
0: love it. Um, I love him. And so, yeah. Um, did you ever at any point, I think from a, a perspective of being an outsider, right. And not really being in his shoes. Did you ever judge him through the process or what was like your emotional state? Obviously being physically separated from him before the trial and then after, um, but just like processing, like, this is my dad. Um, how were your emotions throughout the process when he first got sentenced and then throughout the time before you all got close?
1: Honestly, I would say, and it sounds so bad, but like there really weren't any emotions. Because like as I said previously, he wasn't really there for the big parts of my life. Mm-hmm. So it's not like there was something that I was missing. Or there was something that I was yearning for mm. because um any comfort or anything I needed from that male perspective came from my uncle or and and that's the one who's always who's came through um when I was my field trips, luncheons, anything. There was never an excuse that he always showed up and showed out. Whereas on the other hand, you know, my dad, there was always something. Um, I can't even, I can't even count on one hand the things that he's made that I, you know, that I've invited him to. And so um, there really isn't, there really isn't any emotion there. Um, and like I said, I wasn't lacking anything. You know, I still had my foundation that I always had. So, it's not like there was a piece that was missing mm-hmm. from my perspective. Um, I still had my mom. I still had my sister. I still had my uncle. Um, I still had, you know, mm-hmm. those people who were regularly there. So, it really, no emotions. I mean, and like I said it sucks. I mean, you'd be like, dang. But, you know, I didn't go sit in the corner and, like, oh, my daddy. Oh, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Because I've been doing what I've been doing because he wasn't,
0: you know. Right. Wasn't there. I hear you saying you had already found your balance, your foundation in your life and how um you can continue to thrive and, and raise your child, which makes me think about support system. And so regardless of being separated by bars, um, whether it's by bars, by death, uh, by states, I hear that you still have the support system. What was what was that journey like? Um, you know, having another f- father figure step in for your dad and, you know, provide that love and support that even if it doesn't come from who we want it to come from, it still matters. They, they still um, bring that emotional connection that you still w- want from a male.
1: Can you ask your question one more time? I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: What was it like to have that support system uh, to still have the foundation that that people desire, young women desire? You know, you still had your uncle there, Um, whether it was between the separation of bars or, you know, all these other spaces when your mom passed, like still having that support system. What has that been like? How has it impacted your life?
1: I feel like it's, it's good. I don't think I like um, we're talking about prior to my mom's passing you know it was like an everyday thing and I feel like since my mom's passing I don't call my uncle as much I don't visit I definitely don't visit as much as I used to but that's because I am I know I'm in a different space um, and as I said I have kids that I am I feel like I'm at an age to where I'm Nurturing them, whereas when I was a little bit younger, I still needed a little help, a little guidance with that. Mm-hmm. But to know that if I need anything or whatever, you know, one call away, one one drive, you know, it's always there.
0: You know, that makes me uh, when I listen to you talk about it, I hear the journey of, you know, seasons it's so easy to desire, you know, the stable foundation to be consistent um, throughout our lives, but that's not reality, right? And so you went through this phase of your mom and your sister, and that's like your season and you're thriving. That's your foundation. Um, your dad is in and out as you allow him to be in your life, as you engage with him. And then you go through this season and transition of it being your dad or your uncle, um, you, And then now you've met your husband. You know how seasons happen more than this consistent foundation. And sometimes we can miss that because we're walking. Um, In these shoes and we're like, oh, I lost someone, I lost someone, I lost someone, whether it's physically, physical or spiritually, um, but not realizing that we really grow in seasons because now it's you and your husband raising your family. And that sounds more like your foundation. Um, What have you learned throughout these last 13 years?
1: To let go of expectations and to accept people for who they are and where they're at. There's nothing you can do to change. And I know that with women, we kind of like things to go our way. You want to change this or change that. And at the end of the day, it's solely up to that person. Mm -hmm. And so, and you just have to know whether or not that you're going to allow it and accept it. Or if it's, hey, I'm not in that space anymore. So, bye. Cut them off.
0: Um, how do you explain that to someone who doesn't understand? Like, think about your son, right? Like, how would you explain um, that concept of just, like, loss and expectations um, from family more so than friends?
1: Honestly, I wouldn't explain it because I think about myself as a, a child, a preteen, um, regardless of what was being told to me, I really wasn't listening. I really wasn't hearing. And some things I needed to experience. And so, like, I'll just give an example. Like, if my son had this sibling or a family member who kept letting him down, you know, it's easy for me to sit there and say, all right, babe, stop having those expectations of them to meet you, you know, to do what you're expecting them to do. Because... Then you will have this, I feel that that will put negative perspective in his, you know, Mm -hmm. to a child. But as he gets a little older, he can kind of, you know, you kind of just let him know, hey, it's okay. If somebody ain't doing this. it's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, don't blame yourself. It's it's all good. If somebody told you they're going to do something, they don't do it, it's fine. Instead of... (laughs) (laughs) Instead of just being like, all right, cut a moment. (laughs) (laughs) That's easier said
0: than done. I mean, and you've hit on it too, like being a woman, expectations. Um, And I also think expectations come with the fear of losing, losing something, someone. Um, Where does your peace come from? Because you sound grounded. You sound like um, you have an understanding. There's wisdom in that, right? And so where does one who does have expectation in their parents after being incarcerated, one who does have expectations in their spouse uh, to live a certain way, to change. Where is peace found?
1: That peace is from God, my almighty God. Because (laughs) prior to having a relationship, I probably would have drove myself into worrying about what somebody didn't do, what somebody did do, not doing it my way. Doing it your way. I don't like your way. Either. And so being okay with <laughs> in the words of my brother, it is what it is. And being okay with it.
0: Whew. That's a lesson for us all to live by. That just should be on the shirt. Um, so what's one thing that you hope your father understands about being outside and looking in? Anyone, not necessarily just limited to your father, um, anyone who's incarcerated and they have a loved one who's close.
1: I would say it's it's two different perspectives. Um, And you and you can't blame anyone. I mean, I from from someone's perspective, it could have been roses and flowers. And from a different perspective, it could have been rubble and thorns. And so, um, just being okay with, like, trying to understand, not making, uh, don't fault anyone for their feelings, Mm -hmm. and just being okay with trying to understand those feelings instead of trying to justify it.
0: Agree to disagree. How hard it is, (laughs) Um, or has it? It seems like it's hard, but I think if we really are present and allow our guards to come down, that vulnerability, then we can be honest about where um where we're feeling these emotions, right? And have that natural conversation that just leads to the truth that sometimes we don't want to share. Um and, and that's probably the hardest part about being an adult <laughs> is being vulnerable uh when you have been hurt or let down by disappointments in life uh for people you love and from strangers. And so with that, um I think that trees are very powerful symbols of growth and resurrection of life spiritually and physically And so I have this book called How to Be More Tree-Like, and I'm going to read an excerpt from it. And then after I read your tree, if you could just close us out with your thoughts when you hear it, and your tree today is the chestnut tree, and there are butterflies around that. And so the title is Look on the Bright Side. Learning to live in the moment means that when good times come around, you're open to making the most of them. Every May, chestnuts grow beautiful, blossoms known as candles. The smell attracts lots of insects, and someone is invited to a big pollen party, and everyone is invited to a big pollen party. This feel-good vibe brings rewards in the shape of pollination. In the come of autumn, its bows hang heavy with lots of glossy cankers. Sure, one day it will be the winter again, but while the sun shines, party and grow flowers.
1: Well, my first thought was, insects? I'm out of here. My second thought is, is, it is what I do. I live life every day. And uh, I enjoy those moments. I am a big person for capturing my moments and for making memories. Because down the line, those days are going to be over. And so what do you have to hold on to? memories?
0: That is good, that is good. That is true. Um, <laughs> that is true. To live in the moment feels difficult, but what I've learned, especially even from my task today, is when I can be present and not multitask, is when I can be um, like the chestnut tree, where I could just feel that sun, just be me and be okay with everything that's happening, whether good or bad, KS or calm. Um, but when I'm trying to text someone back, look at my notes tell the kids to stop when I'm overwhelmed with everything that's happening around me, then it's like, oh, I can't think. Um, so that was it. That was a good way to wrap it up. Thank you for your time. I thank you for, you know, giving us perspective from being on the outside looking in. Thank you. And that's You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> that's all we've got for today's segment here at the podcast town studio. These stories, they connect us. The ultimate question, what was the journey like to freedom? Wait, freedom is agreeing to disagree, different perspectives, healing from within, all because life and legacy are complex. Beauty feels good when it's from within. We see people every day, but do we really see them? Their thoughts, griefs, pain, or struggles? To be strong is to heal. If your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut, he will help you catch your breath. Remember to breathe. You're stronger than you think. Make sure you stay connected by following us on Facebook and Instagram at Invisible Talks Podcast. Until next time, I'm Tyra Elin.